Would you grab your Bibles with me this morning? Your Bibles, your laptop, your iPad, your desktop, whatever you got. Let's say it together. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody who knows anything about the brain knows that as a result of what we just said, that things are changing. So bless you. If you don't know about the brain, get to know your brain. This morning, um, this morning um, I need to do things a little bit differently. Uh, there is going to be three parts to the message this morning, and all three parts are going to be absolutely disconnected. So I just need you to follow along with me, and uh, you'll understand when we get to the end of it. But would you bow with me this morning in a word of prayer before we begin? Father, I do again thank you for the incredible freedom we have, not just in this country, but because of your spirit in our life. Freedom to worship, freedom to pray, freedom in your word, freedom to celebrate, freedom to say your name. And I thank you, Father, that you have prepared every one of our hearts for what you are wanting to do this morning. Thank you for all that has taken place already. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a powerful work of moving in these next minutes. Before we begin, I ask for a fresh anointing. Holy Spirit, would you literally possess me? My mind, my mouth, every part of me, I surrender myself for you to flow through and say whatever it is you want to say. With the authority you've given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every demonic entity that is present, and I command you now to be silent and to be outside the walls of this building in Jesus' name. I declare there will be no interference in these next minutes. And Father, I want to thank you again that you are a Father who speaks. And you do it in such a way that all of your children have the ability to hear you. I'm so thankful that hearing you is not for the elite. It's not for the educated. It is not for those in high offices. It's for your children, from the youngest to the oldest. And so I thank you today that you are going to be speaking powerfully words that I'm not even going to say. I open, I, in the name of Jesus, I release an anointing over every ear that they would be opened to hear. Because we believe that one word from you changes everything. And by faith, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you remember the man I shared with you by the name of Ricky? How many of you remember Ricky? I'll just give you a brief. It was a few months ago where within a period of two days, three days, I received three different phone calls from three different people, disconnected people in our community. <clears throat> All of those people said, we have come in contact with a man by the name of Ricky who said that he's dying, that he would like to see a pastor, and all three of them said, I know a pastor that would be good to talk to you. All three, within two days, phoned me and said, a man by the name of Ricky. By the time I got to the third one, before he even said it, I said, can I ask you, is his name Ricky? And they go, how did you know? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that God was setting Ricky and I up. And I got to tell you honestly, and I, I want you to hear it clearly, because every one of you have done this. We have had those times in our life where the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and given us instruction to do something, and we've ignored it. 
We've even had those times where people have come and given us invitation to do something, and we've dropped the ball and we've forgotten it. I've done that, so have you. In big things and in little things. I've got to tell you one example that God used to capture my heart, and it may seem very small to you, but for me it was big. My, my hobby is cows. I, I love moose and then cows. That, that's, my, that's kind of the order of my, my hobby. So a couple of years ago, I had three heifers that were going to calf. I'd actually bought them from Kevin and Chris Miller, beautiful heifers, brought them over. They were pregnant. They were going to calf. I was watching one of them. Jane and I were out that night and I came back about 10.30. I was incredibly tired. I didn't want to go out and check. The Holy Spirit said, go out and check your heifer. I went, you know what? She'll be okay. I am so tired. The Holy Spirit said again, go and check. And I went, you know what? I'll get up early in the morning and go check. I went to bed that night, got up in the morning, went out to check. Here my heifer was laying on the ground. The calf was about 10 feet away dead. My heifer was paralyzed because of the prolonged birth. For six days, my heifer was paralyzed, couldn't get up. I got to tell you, in that moment, I went and I lay down on my heifer and I, I cried. I asked her for forgiveness. It's the craziest thing. But I asked her forgiveness because I knew that my disobedience cost that life, but also cost my heifer unnecessary suffering. The Holy Spirit told me, and I didn't listen. I'll tell you honestly, for a lot of farmers, when they have a cow and that cow loses a calf, they often ship that cow and go, you know what? Um, she lost a calf. She cost me a whole year. That cow is going. I said to the cow straight up, I said, this was not your fault. You're staying here. I'm going to love you through this, heal you through this. That cow, six days later, I helped push it up onto its feet. It wobbled, did the whole deal. For six days, I took water, feed to that cow. She tried to get up, move. When she stood again, I declared, you're not going to be sold. You are going to stay here because it was my fault. My disobedience cost you. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit used that to impact me to go, you know what? When you hear my still small voice, you need to be obedient now. It's not a matter of you understanding. It's not a matter of how tired you are. It's a matter of being obedient to what I'm laying upon your heart, and you will understand it later. Can I tell you, one of the greatest expressions of love in relationship with the Father is our responding to his voice when he speaks to us, big or small. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist. But when I had three phone calls about the same person within a two-day period of time, I knew that God was setting something up. I shared with you a little bit the first day. Rod <clears throat> drove Ricky uh, in the cab the one day, and Rod took me over. He was going on a Saturday. We had just gone to the Wagner ministry thing. He was going over. I said, Rod, could I go with you? I would like to go over and meet Ricky. That was about two days after. Rod went over, introduced me to Ricky. I sat down, met him. Uh, Rod ended up leaving. Ricky and I talked for probably about an hour and a half period of time. And in that period of time, uh, I, I, I knew, I knew what God had called me there for. I began talking to him. I began sharing with him about where he's at spiritually. At the end of that hour and a half period of time, I had the privilege of praying with Ricky and leading him to the Lord. The times after that, Ricky was tormented mentally, and it's beautiful because when I walked into that room, I had the ability to shut down all of the demonic voices that were tormenting him. We talked about that yesterday at men's group. We have authority to do that. 
I had the privilege of talking to Ricky and not the demons for that period of time. I talked to Ricky, prayed with him to receive Christ. Ricky says, I need your help to shut all this off. It has been there for years and years and years. This demonic, I can't shut it off. For the next number of times when Ricky and I met, we began doing deliverance work, began removing all of those things that were happening, began closing the demonic doors. The reason I tell you that is because just this past week, I got a phone call, not from Ricky, obviously. Got a phone call from someone else connected to him. Ricky's mother phoned this person, didn't know my number, phoned this person and said, um, would you communicate to Pastor Colin the difference that was made in Ricky's life in those few short weeks before he died as a result of him spending time? She goes, my son was totally different. My son was at peace. You got to understand that relationship was such where Ricky was probably in his 50s. His mom was in her 70s or close to 80. His mom got to a point she wouldn't even come and visit him because it was so violent and so horrible, she wouldn't even visit him. But her mom, his mom saw the change that took place in Ricky's life as a result of what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit did, in the last few weeks of his life. I say that to tell you this. Every one of us in this place are going to have more and more and more opportunities opened up to us to bring the truth and the light and the freedom that we have into the lives of other people. I'm declaring that to you because I know that those opportunities are coming more and more. The word that I would like you to plant inside of you in the midst of all of our busy schedules and all that's going on is the word margin. I'm going to ask you to begin carving out margins in your day, expecting when you get up in the morning, God, I'm fully prepared today that I'm going to be interrupted, that something is going to take some of my time because there's going to be an opportunity and I'm not going to miss it. Some of the wisest, busiest people on the planet literally schedule into their daytimers margins where they have freedom for spontaneous things to rise up. How much more should you and I as believers create margins going, I'm anticipating God to open a door today and for me to have my schedule changed. I challenge you to begin putting margins in. I want to say to you, I pray that I never miss the leading of the Holy Spirit again. That is my prayer. That's my heart. The truth is, I probably will. So will you. I'm so thankful for grace to be forgiven. But I want to tell you, my heart is when I hear the slightest word to be obedient quickly. This was not a cow. My cow grieved me. This was a man's eternity. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit had done a work in me to walk through an open door and to be an instrument of his eternity. You will be and already are the same. Is anything not clear about that? Okay. That's segment one. Over. Segment two. How many of you uh, picked up in your mailboxes today the... Uh, the brochure on North Battleford. How many of you picked it up in your mailbox? If you haven't, pick it up in your mailbox. If you don't have a mailbox, pick it up on the back desk back there. I want to just highlight a few things about North Battleford because this is, I believe, a very powerful um, move of God in our nation. Just if you have that paper, just just pick it up and look at it for a second. Uh, there's a few things I want to highlight. Number one, I didn't realize that this whole North Battleford uh, movement began as a result of God speaking to somebody in a dream and said there needs to be 10 days of meetings in North Battleford. That is the clarity with which this person heard North Battleford 10 days. That's where it comes from. 
I'm thankful this person heard. I'm thankful they had the connections. I'm thankful they began putting that together. Just flip over the revival history, and I want you to look at it. We all know somewhat about this. 1947, and I want to emphasize this part. There was a Bible school in Saskatoon. There was a group of students who decided to skip classes and start praying and fasting for a move of God. Now, I want you to hear this clearly. I'm not sure that skipping classes was necessary because there's times when you're not in class to pray and fast, but they felt led to skip class. As a result of that, the administration actually kicked them out. But as they were praying and fasting, one of the professors realized that there was a move of God happening with the students. They ended up moving to North Battleford, rented a building, and the Spirit of God broke out through these Bible school students. A powerful revival began taking place in North Battleford that actually spread across across Canada, across the United States, even went across to Europe. What took place in North Battleford in 1947, October of 1947, began a move of spirit wildfire that changed that generation. There are roots in North Battleford that God used powerfully. 70 years, a little over 70 years since 1947, believe very clearly that's why God called it back to North Battleford. I want you to flip over, if you would, to the federal. federal. There's some things in here that I didn't know, even looking online, I didn't know. I did not know that North Battleford was the center, the government center that determined where two-thirds of all the land allocation in Canada was made. North Battleford was that location. I also did not realize that North Battleford was the place where the first... um, School was set up for Native children to come and to re-educate them into white man's way was in North Battleford. And we know all the history of residential schools. We know all of the brokenness. We know all of the treaties. We know all the damage that was done. Part of what is going on in North Battleford, the heart of what's going on, is a time of healing and reconciliation of all the brokenness and wounding that took place in North Battleford and began in North Battleford. A recognition that our country is broken. Our country is divided. Our country has wounds. And the cry of their heart is during this 10-day period of time through prayer, through fasting, through worship, through listening to messages that the Spirit of God is going to move and there is going to be an undoing of what's been done. There's going to be a healing and that the Spirit of God is going to move again powerfully. That's in North Battleford. One of the uh, things for anybody who has been following and looking at this is those who've been organizing, they have called for the month of October to be a time of prayer and fasting in preparation for that period of time. And um, I don't know how many of you have done that. I don't know how many people have done that. I'm so thankful that's not a prerequisite to go because people are just finding out now and, and catching on. But I believe that prayer and fasting is going to make a powerful, powerful difference as to what takes place. I just... I just want to tell you this. You know this to be true. Um, The suicide rate among young aboriginals is incredible, staggering. The first time when Reg and I went to Africa, that was about four and a half years ago, right before we left at the end of January, in fact, only a few days, I went to a funeral in Muscatchese for a young 14-year-old boy who is the grandson of a lady who is going to our church. Went to the funeral. One of the things they talked about, this is the middle of January, is that from the beginning of December, December 1st, until the 15th of January is when we were there, 
that there were 31 teenage children in Muscatchese that committed suicide. One every day and a half. I was, I was shocked. What I find out now is that that is not unique. There are reserves all across Canada that are experiencing massive waves of suicide among their young people. Part of what North Battleford is wanting to address is the wounding behind that and to break that spirit of death that is affecting our Aboriginal people. Now, I'll tell you, it's not just Aboriginals. I mean, suicide rate among young people and college kids, and I mean, even, even older white Caucasian, it's, it's incredible what's going on right now. One of the other things that's happening in our nation, you know that, is the whole issue of, of uh, drugs that are killing people. Um, Oxycontin, the street drugs that are killing unprecedented in BC, I mean, in, in Alberta. I uh, just heard the other day that 84, 84 since the beginning of this year have died in Edmonton alone as a result of that drug overdose. Like there is a spiritual epidemic going on. Jude. Already this year. In the last year, 8,000 in Canada. Yeah. So there's a recognition that something has been unleashed. Um, we know what was unleashed this past week on the 17th. Helping to solve a problem, no, adding to an existing problem. North Battleford is wanting to pray into and address and do warfare in the spiritual realm in that area. So I would encourage you, um, I would encourage you to pick this up in your mailbox to have a look at it. Um, one of the things, <clears throat> how many of you really appreciate the bathroom blessings that Linda puts in on a weekly basis? Yeah, I got to tell you, sometimes I sit there longer just because I'm reading. Like, you, you know what I'm saying. This one here, some of you, and, and I've been in your home, some of you actually have taken almost all of them. You've taken, you framed them, and they're hanging on your walls. Okay? I, I bless you for that. I mean, they're, they're powerful. This one here just captured me a couple weeks ago when Linda put it up, and, and this is talking about Battleford again, but it says, history belongs to the intercessor. Isn't that powerful? Intercessors change what takes place in our nation. And the belief is that what's going to happen in North Battleford is going to do that very thing. So whether or not you want to be a part of North Battleford going, whether or not you want to be here and take it in, I would encourage you um, somewhere along the line to connect with what's happening See what's going on, and don't, don't miss. If there is an anointing that's going to be released, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Any questions about North Battleford? Any other comment about that? Dennis? The devil is afraid of young people. It's really true. It's really true. Dennis? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's open for anybody to go. Uh, you can go to North Battleford. You can pay a registration right at the door. I think they're receiving people till it's full. Oh, here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you want to bring people here on the 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 6.30, absolutely. Yeah, invite people to come. Okay, that's message number two. Can we turn the book? Oh, uh, yes. 
Yep, the other pastors and community have been informed. Yeah. The third thing uh, God's laid in my heart that I need to talk to you about is um, uh, I need to talk to you about Halloween for a little bit. Um, some of you may have got this. This is a uh, thing that Jane printed off from KCM. Talks a little bit about the history of Halloween. Talks about the response to it. Uh, it's a great thing if you want it. Um, I can have Linda. She can take it and photocopy and get it to you. But I, I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to talk to you about some things. And I, I want to say this at the very beginning. I need to share some things with you from a father's heart. Part of what we're dealing with today in the church with a religious spirit is a major spirit of judgment, spirit of criticism, spirit of condemnation, a spirit that has the ability to pick out the negative inside of people and to make them feel guilty or ashamed. In fact, when I was growing up, I heard a statement in the church one time and somebody joked about it and said, I have the gift of seeing the negative inside of people's lives. And I thought, how stupid. I want you to understand, and there's just one scripture that I want to refer to in Romans chapter 12, but I want to give you a little bit of background. You've heard me talk before that when I was in Edmonton, I was part of a number of different groups, singing groups, Travel Canada, States. There was a band that I was involved in called Deviate, wrote all the music we recorded. The drummer of our band, you've heard me talk about, his name was Fred Albert. And when I met Fred, he was a great drummer, born-again Christian guy. As we got to know each other in the band, he was introduced through someone else. He came into the band. As I got to know him, uh, Fred was a manager of an ALCB liquor store back when the government still controlled it. He was a manager in the store. You know the story. I've told you. I didn't say anything right away, but inside of me it was like, what the heck are you as a Christian doing working in a, a liquor store? To me, that was an oxymoron. For me, I was so focused on the liquor, it's why are you a part of selling people alcohol that's destroying their lives? Why are you doing that? And it just built up instead of me, and it's like, here we are, a Christian band, and this guy is in a liquor store. You don't want anybody to find out about it. But So one day, I, just, I did. I, I had to go to him, and I said, Frank. Fred. His name is Fred. Fred! Should have been Frank. I don't know why they called him Fred, but... I said, Fred, i got to ask you a question. I say, how can you, as a believer, work inside of a liquor store? How can you be a part of encouraging alcohol use in the lives of other people? Fred looked at me, sympathetically. But he looked at me and he said, I'll tell you why I'm there. He said... The majority of people who come across my store are farmers who are struggling with the weather, struggling with their animals, struggling with prices, struggling with grain prices, struggling with getting their crops off. The majority of people who come through are farmers who are depressed and they're struggling. They walk into the liquor store, they're buying it, they come to my counter, and as I'm selling them the liquor, I have opportunity to speak into their life hope and encouragement. The times I've had to pray with these farmers, the times that I have been able to relationally build in, he goes, if I wasn't a believer, a non-believer would be there, and all they would do is sell them liquor. He'd go, I'm using this avenue to sell them something more. Have you ever been rebuked to the point that you wanted to climb in a hole and just pretend you never said anything? 
Okay, I have. I, I wish I could just say once, but I've, I've had that more than once. What I had to realize at that point is I was focused on the liquor. He was focused on the man. I got hung up on the bondage. He was focused on releasing and freeing the heaviness and the bondage. And I got to tell you, after that period of time, I began praying, God, would you stir other born-again Christians to go into liquor stores and sell liquor? Not to sell liquor, but to be there for people. That changed me. I'm going to tell you straight up that there has been a lot of crap in the churches over the years about Halloween. From one end of the spectrum, where you have churches that go, hey, let's have a Halloween party and invite everybody to come, and they just embrace it like they do everything else, and other churches that go, who, this is of the devil, and don't have anything to do with it, and shut your lights off in your home, and, and just, I mean, stand against it and be negative and critical, and I mean, we can't... Okay, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've heard it all, right? In fact, you probably wrestled with, what, what do I do during this period of time? I just want you to write down Romans 14. Not going to look at it. I want you to write down Romans 14. I want you to go there. This is the place where Paul says this. He goes, he goes there, there are some of you, when you eat certain foods, uh, it's okay for you to eat them. For others, when they eat those foods, it's not okay for them to eat them. Their conscience quickens them, and it's wrong for them. He's going, he's going don't put on someone else, don't shove on someone else your personal conviction. I've said this to you before, and, and you, you, you know it to be true. Um, we're sitting back at the pot blessing, and I'm sitting down beside somebody. We both have a piece of chocolate pie in front of us. And for me to eat that pie, I'm totally good. And for the other person over here, they're doing it totally wrong. They know they're being disobedient. They know they shouldn't do it. They know they've got medical issues. They know they're trying to lose weight. They, they know two people doing the same thing, and yet one can be totally fine, and one can be totally in the wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul said this. He said, if someone has a conviction just to eat vegetables, let them do that for the glory of God, but by no means shove your vegetable eating down anybody else going, because I'm a vegetable eater, you've got to be a vegetable eater too. And if you're not eating only vegetables, something's wrong with you. He, he says, shove that back in where it came from. He said, you've got to come to a place where in whatever you do, you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And when you get peace, when you get freedom in that area, you function in that freedom, but don't make anybody else function with your freedom or your bondage. So I want to say this to you. There are two groups of people out there that I want to address this morning. One is the non-believer i got to tell you really clearly, when a non-believer decorates their yard, when a non-believer really does it up, when a non-believer is decorating their kids and, and taking them out, when non-believers do whatever they do, I look at that and I go, do I expect anything different? Have you ever thought for a moment the kind of person you would be today if Christ wasn't in your life? Don't think about it too long. It's scary. I've thought about it some. I'll tell you honestly, if I wasn't a believer, I would be totally in favor of abortion. I would be totally in favor of euthanasia. I would totally be in favor of screwing around before marriage. I'd be totally in favor of live and let live. You do whatever you want to do, but don't you tell me what I'm going to do. That, that, I, 
Without the Spirit of God in me, I know that's where I would be. So when I look at non-believers who are getting all wrapped up in Halloween and all doing their thing, my job is not to look at them and judge them and criticize. My job is to find an opportunity to build a relationship with them, to love them, and let them know I care enough about them so that they can care enough about what I have to share and say to them. My job at Halloween with a non-believer is to look at it and go, this is the mission field. I'm not going to Africa. I'm not going to India. It's right next door to my house. This is a mission field. And Halloween and the way they express it just reveals to me a little bit where they're at. That's all. Can you imagine if a missionary went over to India and saw all the people in their Hindu stuff and got angry at them because they're worshiping Hindu? But somehow the church does that here. Can I tell you really clearly, as a spiritual father, can I tell you, don't you dare get upset and critical and judgmental about any non-believer out there who celebrates like crazy Halloween. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't you project it. They're not, li- they're not living their life for your approval. We are living our life in order to be a light and a witness and to love them right where they are in the midst of their deception, their bondage, all of their expression. Our job is to love them in the midst of that and allow the Spirit to draw them out of it. How many of them know that when they dress their kids up and they go to door or daughter, that they're mocking back in the days of old where they would dress up and they would mock the ghosts and the spirits that were supposed to be walking over the earth during that period of time, that they had the ability to be unleashed for a day, that dressing up and doing that is simply just going through that whole mock ceremony. And stuff. How many of them know that? Yes, there are those who are going to go to the extreme and use it as an opportunity for worship and sacrifice. Can I just tell you really bluntly? Do you know anybody who goes to a hockey game and uses it as an opportunity to get drunk? Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody on a Sunday afternoon who turns on a football game and uses it as an opportunity to to, to drink until they... Do you know anybody? If that spirit is in you, you'll not just do it at Halloween. You'll look for opportunities all over the place. But I want to tell you, our response to what they're doing is not to be judgmental and critical. Our response is to be mission-minded going, that's where they are. They're still in deception. They're still locked. My job is to build a relationship to love them. That's the non-believer. Let me flip over to the believer. Do you know any believers who are going to dress their kids up and go door-to-door? I do. I was raised in a Christian home. Every Halloween, my mom and dad dressed us up, drove us from farm to farm to farm, got a bunch of candy. My mom took it all when we got home because she goes, it's not good for you. (laughs) What was that about? Actually, she was smart. She put a little bit in our lunch every day. So instead of gorging on it and having diarrhea, we could enjoy it for how long? 
Can I tell you, as a believer, you have the ability to take what the enemy means for evil. You have the ability to bring good from it. There are some Christians who are going to dress their kids up. <clears throat> They're going to go door to door. They're going to enjoy the evening. They're going to turn it into a social time. They're not going to open a door to the demonic. They're not going to open a door to the occult. They're not going to open a door to any of that thing. As believers, we have authority over all of that. They're going to turn it into a wonderful social time with their children, a fun time to dress up. I wish we would dress up at different times of the year, but it just happens to be this is one of those. Can I say this to you? If, if you're hung up on the fact that you aren't going to celebrate Halloween because it's a pagan festival, you can't celebrate Christmas either. And yet somehow, as Christians, we're totally fine setting aside all of the paganism of, Christian, of Christmas and embracing all of the good and turning it all about Christ. Why can't we do that with Halloween the same way we do with, Christ, with, with Christmas? Why can't we? But can I say to you, there's going to be other believers even in this place who go, you know what, the appearance of evil... I don't even want to be a part of that. I don't want my kids to be a part of that. Can I say, that's right too. If you're at a point where you have conviction that this door is not to be open and God has given you reasons to do that, you be obedient to that and you keep that door closed. But don't you ever impose that on anybody else. And just because God has given you freedom to enjoy and dress your kids up and, and turn it into a social time. Don't you look at someone who's not and go, oh, you're, you're into legalism, you're, you're into... No, you look and go, this is the freedom God's given me. I can eat this meat and I'm not feeling condemned by it, but if you're feeling like you're going to eat the meat, then don't eat it! I want to tell you the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. He goes, Galatians, you began in freedom. Why is it now you're going back into legalism? Can I tell you the spirit of the enemy that wants to come and put legalism on the church is going to be around until Jesus comes back. And if we can't identify it, it's going to creep in and begin taking our own personal life and we're going to begin sticking in other people too. And how long is it going to be before we begin preaching? Oh my goodness, you're not circumcised? Well, you better get circumcised. By the way, Peter and Paul had a fight about that. Do you remember? And I'm glad they had a fight. Because Peter was wrong. Yeah, let me say it again. Peter was wrong. What? The rock? Yeah, the rock was wrong. What? Jesus' right hand? Yeah, he was wrong. And I am so thankful that it took someone like the Apostle Paul who was strong enough to confront this mighty Peter and go, Peter, you are a hypocrite. When the Jews aren't around, around, you tell the Gentiles, hey, everything is fine. But when all of a sudden they come, you're going, ooh, what are they going to think of me? You back off and go, no, well, you boys better be, better be circum... I'm so thankful Paul stood up to him and said, Peter, you need to change it because you're preaching a different gospel. Don't put them back under bondage. That same spirit is around today. I got to tell you what you already know. We've had churches in this community over the last week that have been having series, anti-Halloween series. If that's what God is calling them to do, they got to do it. But I want you to know that the spirit of legalism is going to want to come on you 
And the spirit of legalism is going to want to come through you to stick it on other people. Fight that for all of its worth. I want to give you an example. I don't drink. Why don't I drink? I don't drink because I have a conviction that my life is a fishbowl. People look at my life. When I sneeze, they see I sneeze. When I get my haircut, they see haircut. When I buy a different car, they see I buy a different car. There's everything about my life that is judged and scrutinized in this community and even beyond this community. I'm not overly concerned about that because as long as I'm good with God, I really couldn't give a damn what you think or what they think. I have freedom between me and God. But in the area of alcohol, the Holy Spirit has convicted me and said, Call, what you could do in control and moderation would be viewed by others and it would take them into excess. Let me give you an example. All I would have to do is go into a bar, sit down, have a bottle of beer in front of me, Somebody walks by or sitting in the bar, they look at Pastor Colin having a beer, and they go, he drinks. And the door is wide open for them to drink. Well, he does it. And they would do in excess what I could do with absolute control. The conviction on my life, God has said, Colin, I'm going to give you a grace not to drink. Not because I believe it's wrong. I don't believe drinking is wrong at all. I believe drinking outside of moderation is wrong. I believe abuse of it is wrong. I believe if you do it for emotional reasons, it's wrong. But I don't drink because that is a conviction that God has put on me in my life. If you ever hear me look at you and go, well, because I don't drink, you better not drink either. Somebody better stand up and challenge me like Paul did Peter. Because that's legalism. What I would do is look at you and go, can I ask you, have you gone to the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit told you about drinking? Whatever he tells you, that's what you be obedient to. I can guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will never say to one person, you know what, it's totally fine to go out there and binge and then puke your guts out and do that every second weekend. I, I, I know the Holy Spirit won't say that. So if they're doing that and they go, well, the Holy Spirit gave me this freedom, I go, you're, you're lying, you're flipping face off. When are we talk about that? Back to Halloween. Every one of us, every one of us, have to respond to what is going on. I challenge you to make your response not based on what your parents did, not based on what the church of old did, not based on what was happening down the series, not is what in your mailbox, not what people are preaching against legalism. I challenge you to make your conviction about Halloween based on, Father, how do you want me to respond to my family? What do you want me to do? And when God says to you, you know what? I want you to have no part of that. Then you go, okay, I'll have no part of that. It's not making me judgmental, but I'm just not going to open that door. If God says you have complete freedom to take that, turn what the enemy meant for evil, 
and enjoy it with your kids. Enjoy it with your neighbors. Enjoy it with your... Then do that in freedom. I want to tell you one other thing. And I don't know why it is. I, I love what Kelly said yesterday in, in men's group. We were talking about something. And he goes, isn't that the deal where you, you miss the log in your own eye and you point the sliver out in someone else's eye? Can, can, I, can I just say one thing? As God and I were talking about this, the Lord said, call. You just need to bring attention that people get so riled up about one day Halloween and all the demo He said, remind them that every morning on television, Little children are watching occult cartoons sometimes for four and six hours a day and Christian parents are totally fine with them watching cartoons and yet they're totally riled up about one night of Halloween. How do we miss that? I'll tell you how we miss it. The religious spirit makes it so that we don't see the way we need to see. How many parents ask, Father, Father, what is it you want me to expose my child to in television? How many parents ask that? And can I say this to you? Even if you don't have children, how many of you go to the Lord and say, Father, what is it you want me to expose myself to on television? Is it okay for me to watch this? How many of us ask the Lord? I'll tell you, in the body of Christ, we're watching a pile of crap that we should never be watching. Because we fail to inquire. We don't see the spiritual demonic open door, and we think that we're not affected by what we watch. Somehow we have a mentality that goes, I'm not affected by this thing, can I tell you? Multi-billion dollar companies who pay two and three million dollars for a 30 second commercial know that you are affected after 30 seconds of watching, let alone two hours. If I'm the enemy, I'll make darn sure you don't even think about that. So I'd like you to read Romans 14. And the whole area of Halloween, I would like you to take before the Lord and say, Father, what is it you want me to do? Because in your obedience, I'm going to find freedom. And I commit that I'm not going to impose what God has laid upon my heart upon you. And I commit that you're not going to impose what God's laid on your heart to me. If you're a vegetable eater, that's totally great. I'm a meat eater. How many of you like herring? What if I impose that on you? Okay, you're getting my point, right? Legalism happens when we don't hear the voice of God in our own life. As a father, I'm saying to you, I implore you, Don't take your legalism and stick it on anybody else. I implore you, don't look at the non-believer and how they celebrate Halloween and judge them. Make it an opportunity for missions. Judy. Hang on a second, Judy. Just what you're talking about, I went through a little bit this morning. I was wrestling about how to reply. My, um, 
my stepson and his wife and um, their kids got dressed up yesterday and we're gone to uh, a Halloween celebration at Heritage Park and they posted these pictures on Facebook and I was looking at them and I'm thinking oh my god they did a really good job of their costumes they had you know what they looked you know and I know their hearts are to be involved with their kids and everything that they take them to and what they do and you know um, my stepson was brought up as, as a Christian. He believes in Christ. He's, you know, all those things. But he's not at the same place, right? And I thought, how do I respond to this? Because some of the face makeup that the adults had done, I wasn't too sure that I could condone, right? So I wrestled with that for a little while, and I thought, but I want to encourage them as a family, so how do I respond to this? So I just, um, I po- so what I posted was, wow. And then I said, I hope you had a great time together as a family. And I just left it at that because it was something I didn't know, right? I was wrestling with. And part of what was going through my head was, well, if I say, wow, good costumes, some of my Christian friends might judge me. Honestly, that went through my head. And I thought, I'm not condoned. You know what I mean? It was just, it was a wrestle that I had to have and I had to pray about and I had to ask God, how do I respond to them? How do I build a relationship without slamming and tearing down in the middle of it? And that's what I chose to do. I want to give you one crazy verse that we often forget. What is the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. Does anybody know what John 3.17 says? Just raise your hand. You know John 3.17? How many of you know what 3.16 is? Raise your hand if you know. Yeah. You should check out 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Can I say that again? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God did not send his sons and daughters into the world to condemn the world. Can I remind you that there's not one person out there who is our enemy? It's principalities and powers. Not the person who decorates their lawn. Not someone who dresses their kid up like a witch. They're not the enemy. If God didn't send Jesus to condemn, what gives you and I the right? I'll tell you what empowers us. In the church is the Antichrist spirit. The spirit of condemnation. Fight it. Practice it this Wednesday. Practice fighting legalism. Practice fighting religion. Practice fighting condemnation. Practice being Christ-like. I'm in this world to save it, not condemn it. Any more questions? Dean? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's good. Dean brought this up yesterday. He's asking the question, what's the significance of October 31st for us today as believers? Uh, Dean brought up, and it's kind of interesting because I did a thesis when I was in university about um, Martin Luther, about the 95 Theses, about Philip Melanchthon, who's the teacher who brought it all in there. Those are all names, whatever. October 31st was the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door. In history, 1517, that was the, that was the day, October 31. His heart was not to divide the church. His heart was to make the church aware of things that were not biblical. He was praying and believing for reform. The leaders of the church did what often leaders of the church do when they're confronted. They went, we're having none of that. You got to leave. Church is really good at that. One of the things I got to say, oh, Thursday evening, we had our prayer and ministry time. The worship team was gathered together. We listened to a message by Bill Johnson, and he was talking about the four tenants. And uh, one of the things he talked about, he said, you know, he said, there are times God won't speak to me because God will use other people to speak to me. And he goes, I got to tell you this reality. He often uses people that I have no respect for. You know what's really interesting? Most of us will write off people that we don't respect. He's going, God often uses people that I have no respect for to speak into my life and show me things that people around me and even love me won't tell me. I thought, holy smoke, there's some serious wisdom. Can you imagine what would have happened in 1517 if the leadership of the Catholic Church would have adhered to what God showed Martin Luther and said, you're right, we need to bring about some changes. Can you imagine? So, part of the celebration, we look back in history, our roots go back to 1517, October 31, the whole Lutheran route, it goes back to that. Actually, all Protestant movement began on that day, October 31. So, Google that. There's some powerful thing there. I got to tell you just one thing before we end today. You got, you got three minutes? I live across from a graveyard. About three years ago, four years ago, maybe a little longer, on October 31st, um, night, it, I mean, it's, it's dark at, you know, 7 o'clock as soon as the time changes, dark at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Had supper. Look, I was outside doing something, looked outside, and here I see a bunch of lights in the graveyard, October 31. Now, the imagination goes, right? I'm thinking, hey, I should take my shovel. I could go along and we could just be part of it, right? No, I didn't think that, but I went, this is kind of weird. So it's like, okay, this is my neighborhood. So I did. I got my vehicle. I drove over to the graveyard. And I drove inside, and there was a number of vehicles there, and there were people that were gathered around some cemetery, some, some tombs that were in there. And I mean, it's a cool cemetery if you've never been out there. Old, man. Do you know how many dead people in that cemetery? All of them, yeah. So I went out there, and, and so I got in my vehicle. I went over to the group, and here I recognized one of the pastors from our community. And here he had brought out his youth group into the cemetery, and they were doing, on October 31st, they were doing a graveside cemetery ceremony. And I got to tell you, what I realized is, I mean, this church in our community is known to be one of the most new age liberal churches. This is the one I told you about where the Catholic nun went in. 
and looked around and saw demons all over the altar and all over, walked out and said, I'm not speaking here. And she walked away and left the conference with no speaker. Here he was with all these young people out there doing this ceremony at our cemetery. Weird. Not biblical. New Age occultic. Right across my road. I said, okay, just wanted to check out what you guys are doing. I drove away. I said, Lord, how do I respond? Guess what the Lord said? Guess what he said? Yeah, he said pray. That's what he said. Just pray for him. So I did. There's no question, guys. Weird stuff is going to happen on on Wednesday night. Weird stuff is going to happen. Can I say one thing? Don't participate in the weird. Don't participate. But if you see anything weird, I, I challenge you. If you don't hear anything from the Lord, just pray, would you? All right. That's end of number three. Ready to go home? Would you bow with me? Word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you're opening up doors in all of our lives to engage with the Rickies. I pray that you give us whatever it is we need when that door opens to be obedient, to walk through our fear, walk through insecurity, walk through I'm not prepared, I don't have that degree, to walk through and be you in those moments. Wake us up. Give us anticipation to expect it. And I release grace over every encounter with a Ricky this week. I thank you, Father, for what's brewing in North Battleford. I thank you that the breath of your spirit is blowing across Canada. I thank you for what's going to take place. Thank you for opening up the door of opportunity for us to be a part of it here and to live stream. And Father, we don't want to miss what you're doing. I'm so thankful we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We can do it here and catch it. So stir in our hearts how you want us to be a part of that. And Father, I thank you. I just want to say thank you that you are freeing us from a legalism and a judgmentalism and a condemnation that has plagued the church for years. You're bringing us out of that. You're bringing us into a place where we can walk and live in the freedom that you give us, the convictions you give us, and the freedom to believe that you might be saying something different to someone else. Not only for us to live in freedom, but to give freedom. And I thank you that in that freedom, in that obedience, lives will be changed. So seal what you've done here today. I thank you again that you are a God who brings good from every design of the enemy's evil. Let us be an instrument of that. I declare to you what you already know, that your heavenly Father has blessed you and he's keeping you. Your heavenly Father has caused his face to shine on you and he has been unusually gracious to you. 
Your heavenly Father has lifted up his countenance upon you, and he has packed you full of his peace in a world where there is none. I declare that by faith. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody receiving it said, Amen.